Hello and welcome to the Football Podcast with Jambo extraordinaire Paul O'Neill and me, Paul Larkin. We discuss all aspects of Scottish football, serious and not so serious. So sit back, relax and enjoy the crack. Magical Mystery Tour by, of course, the Beatles. This is the Football Podcast number 30 and the last of the regular podcasts for the season. The phrase of the weekend is, of course, Neil Poir. After Britain's pathetic attempt at the Eurovision Song Contest, Paul, your thoughts, please. On Eurovision, uh, it's, it's not my bag, but uh, I'm quite glad to see Britain come completely dead last because it's an embarrassment to the to the country. I think they've still no really worked out Brexit, have they? That everybody hates Britain, and um, I have to say I did watch some. I, I certainly wasn't able to stay up till the 
scores and all that. It was going way too late for me, but um, I loved the Germany song, which was basically something, some daft boy jumping about shouting about don't hate or something. <laughs> I was going to say they dressed up as a hand or a peace sign as well. <laughs> and they turned it into a finger because they weren't a little mental. Okay, so it's the last one of the season. And of course, as you've already heard, the Duke is here. He's in place. Yeah. He's ready to go. Mr Paul O'Neill. I am indeed ready to go. How are you? Ah, not bad. How was your week? It was good, I um, was off on Monday and Tuesday, so it was uh, my wife's birthday, so we went out for a meal and a couple of drinks now that you're allowed to on Monday. Yeah. Uh, yesterday, um took my daughter to Almond Valley in Livingston, so like a farm play place, which was a, a good day. Now, I'd, there's a couple of reasons bringing that up. Was uh, I did, it was starting on Monday, I did accuse you selling out your working class routes because of the pubs you were visiting um, mm-hmm. in Edinburgh, which I believe were... The Cafe Royal and Conan Doyles. That's right, eh? Were you doing that for just poetry or? <laughs> no, I just uh, wanted a couple of pubs in relative so proximity. You, you have to book both then? Aye. Right. Because um, that's the thing, like in the city centre, the, most places are wanting bookings. Mm. Well, uh, just to be safe, and the weather was a bit crap as well, so I'd never be starting a book getting not like. And was uh, Steph drunk or? Uh, I towards the end of Monday, I so was that. <laughs> and the other reason I was asking you, I was sort of asking you, I was saying that you were selling out, is you were kind of, I kind of felt that you were trying to pull a Jack Ruby on me and organise different things with the Scotland games, um, which you know, after you know, basically raising you, <laughs> and then you know, um, you know, it's one of the moments where you're like, how many fucking times did I play football with you? Um, like Junior Soprano. Uh, <laughs> now let's put the cards on the table here. I'm in. I'm going to be in England for the Czech Republic game, mm-hmm. which Chris Kajawa. I don't know if you noticed today on the on on the Facebook group says we've absolutely no chance of winning. I mean, it was a fair enough point about the whole COVID thing regarding the Czech Republic and all the rest of it, but you know, fucking hell, we can't be negative now. <laughs> we can't moan for. 21 years or whatever, you know, or 23 years, you know, um, qualifying for a tournament and then get there and think, well, we're going to get fucked anyway, can <laughs> um, The England game, I think I'd rather watch in my house. Um, especially like, I mean, you, you know yourself, right? See, with Edinburgh, there'll be mm-hmm. just as many English who fall in England that night. Quite possibly. Quite I mean, possibly. So, I mean, I had it. I watched England and Croatia semi-final in 2018 and Robbie's in Leith Lock and it was packed to English. I wouldn't have thought Robbie's would have been there. I know. It was hot spot. Hosey was there and he was trying to console them. I was <laughs> hanging for the fucking chandeliers. Like, you know, because you know, as that tournament went on, I had a real was fucking England about to win this, the way it's gone. Mm. Um, yeah, I had a real fear at that point. So... That would leave the Croatia game, and that's what I'm going to say. I'll leave it in your conscience. So, we'll find you in a good mood, and the reason for that good mood, obviously, is um, the cup final yesterday. Um, now, before the game, I thought you were trying to dismiss it a wee bit, which is kind of, I think it was like the equivalent of getting kind of knocked back by a bird, and then say, ah, she's not that much anyway, you know. That <laughs> but, as it got closer, your kind of, um, how could I put it, desire to watch the game lessened. Mm-hmm. 
Aye, aye, I, th- I think that's fair. I think you'd asked me in the was it the morning or was it the Friday? Mm, how Friday, I was yeah. feeling about the game, and I, and genuinely, like, I wasn't. It wasn't like 2016 where I was terrified that we were going to win the cup. I don't think it could get worse than that, to be mm, honest. Mm. And I've already done it, but I didn't want them to win it, obviously, because they had they would give them bragging rights all summer and stuff as well, and especially like. With the year we've all had, I don't know, Hibs fans having one of the best days of early. <laughs> with life. It's, um, it's funny because, I mean, there's a few people I know uh, that just can't stand, Hibs fans, that can't stand Jack Ross. And their kind of argument is, the only reason we finish third is because the league's rubbish. You know, and any other season we'd never finish third. And I've got to say, I said it the earlier today, I think if St Johnson hadn't had such a bad start, they could have a really great chance of finishing third. I think so. The, the way they finished the season was um, tremendous. Fair about Christmas onwards. Mm. I think I think it's a fair point about Ross. Um, he's built a half decent squad, so they've got players that will get goals and, and get them out of holes, and they're pretty consistent, especially away from home in, in the league. But I think it is to, to the standard. Like it took him till the second last game of the season to secure third. Mm-hmm. And Aberdeen scored in nine months. Yeah, yeah. So like, and um, I think Jack's uh, Ross is probably. Jack Ross's big problem, sorry, is he can't seem to influence games for me. Like once they go behind, they mm. seem to be actually aware enough to sort of change the, the flow of the game. Uh, like they played St Johnson yesterday, right? They're already lost three times mm-hmm. in the season. And they played them the exact same way. Like, yeah. never, it's bizarre. And not just the fact that they lost their previous three games, they hadn't laid a glove on them. I know. And they look like scoring. Three front players who have all proved themselves this season, and you can't utilise them. You know, I mean, I have to say, like, and all, and I watched it back again to, to, to confess, I thought the Hibs' performance was one of the most pathetic things I've ever seen a team day in a cup final. And I include right. when they got beat 5 1. There was no passion, there was no desire, they didn't look like they had any kind of game plan whatsoever. Yeah. Um, the same players were making the same mistakes. You've got Darren McGregor who's come in and played really well, played really well against Celtic, you know, didn't he put a foot wrong? And they put back in Porteous, and Porteous almost sold the you know the second goal for a penalty kind of thing, again, as he's been doing all season. And I'll, I'll be honest, like, I don't know, half an hour to go, even before the penalty, I was saying there's no chance Hibs are going to score here. I, I was I was amazed at how how little they, they sort of there was no desire. It's bizarre. It was a cup final. Like mm. at no point did they have like a, a, a spell of pressure where you thought they might get something. St Johnston looked comfortable. And after the penalty, I thought, right, Hibs might get a lift for that mm. because if you can't get a lift with 15 minutes to go Aye. a cup final and you get a lifeline like that, but they never even came to work. I don't even I don't even recall Cot making a proper save. Like no. No. It, it was it was really if I was a Hibs fan, like, I'd be really disappointed with the manner of the defeat. There's no shame in losing to St Johnston. They're not a bad team, mm. but. The manner and, and not having a, a proper go at it is, is bizarre. Aye, it's, um, you know, I just didn't, I mean, they're early, relatively early chance for you, other um, they missed that. And I, I was kind of thinking, I said, Hibs score first, you know, probably a good chance they'll win. But St Johnson went into that game, they knew what they were doing. They mm. always know what they were doing. They know how to block the spaces that are dangerous for people to get into. Um, you know, you've got Kane up front, battering an entire defence on his aim and you know you're just like why do Hibs no detail one man to handle him and allow the other defenders to do what they want instead they're all rushing towards him and all that kind of thing it was just and Doig I mean I've got to say right I like Doig um, 
but you know, I saw him getting torn to pieces by Frimpong in one game, and he got substituted at half time and disappeared. I've not really seen that much of him since and all that, but that defending at that goal was as bad as it gets. It's, but Hibs, Hibs lost a goal for a Tower and Hedor Tiruni in the semi final mm. in the League Cup, mm. and then they've just let him sort of ghost in unmarked at the back post. It's and you're right, Doyle's got to do better. Like Gogic as well, though, like he's absolutely sold by Withers. It wasn't even like he'd done anything particularly impressive, he just cut inside. Well, the thing about it, it's football intelligence to me. I mean, it's great for Booth to win the two tackles. Then Witherspoon gets the ball, and you know that Gogic is going to just run straight into you because he's right running at everything. So he just simply drops his shoulder, boom. Doig has to be aware of Rooney behind him. That's his mm. only job. And, you know, because he's basically started to run back, and you're thinking, that's the worst position to heed a ball. Because Rooney's mm. getting a run to come in and he did the ball. And he knows he's going to completely overpower you unless you get a jump on him. Um, you know, and they're all, all the hips players are all standing looking at each other as if they go, well, what happened there? Well, the same thing that happens in every fucking game against St Johnston. I, I must say as well, like, I've been really impressed with that Rooney all season. Two cup final winning goals, mm. a goal in the semi-final, and he's just been, and he's absolutely brilliant in there. Like, he's... Aye. A monster. No, I've had a Scotland squad to be perfect honest with the form they finished the season in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, it's uh, you know, to me, like it is tournament football is all about getting form at the right time. And mm-hmm. you know, I kind of watched or saw something yesterday about when Scotland had qualified, and you notice the amount of players that wanted David Marshall were only in that squad. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, it's, it's, and you sort of think, oh, well, you know, and I don't know, I mean, I think we'll probably come on here, but there's, there's guys in that squad I think are really fucking lucky. Like, you know what I mean? They've basically lived on their Scotland performances, but disappointing just to see any fans there. To me, just I can't understand it. When you've got 10, 12,000 people at English games a day, why can yeah. there not be at least 1,000 for each club there? It's, it's at the point now where it, like, I've stuck up a lot for the way the Scottish government have handled the, the pandemic and that because they've been accused of just being awkward for the sake of it, but I think playing it safe is the right thing. But it's getting to the point now where how many thousands of Hibs fans or St Johnston fans were in pubs yesterday? How's that safer then? Well, exactly. I mean, they had St Johnston had this big thing on Perth and they were all sitting at tables and big screen and all that kind of thing. Look, I know for a fact that the SNP can't stand Celtic or the Huns because the Huns, they know, will never vote for them. And Celtic, we didn't like the kind of Irish connection. But I'm telling you now, political expediency, I'll bet you a lot of Hibs fans and St Johnson fans vote SNP. And you're just, that, that's something that would bolster it. But it's like they couldn't give a toss. I mean, you know, Humes or Youssef is the only real football fan in the government, makes one comment about that and they're wanting to resign and all the rest of it, you know, without foundation. I'm thinking he's talking about a video where everybody could see what they were singing. You know, so it's, it's that another one where the kind of government will see, I told you we should never talk about football, didn't get involved in it. But yeah. as I said to you earlier, clubs are absolutely at their wit's end with the government. They have no idea what's happening next season. I think that's, I said that to you, that's the biggest problem. It's not even like, it's not being told you can't have fans. It's, it's not having any kind of roadmap to when you will have fans or in what numbers or there should be some kind of like, if there's this many cases and hospitalisations are low or whatever, you'll get this much and then it'll gradually increase. Mm. But there's nothing. It's, and it's not good enough, to be honest, because how are no. clubs meant to sell season tickets and have any kind of security on it's that? It's not. I mean, 
England and, and sorry, in the European Championships, obviously the finals at Wembley, they're aiming at forty thousand for the final, built up mm-hmm. over the size of the tournament. Scotland has been three to four weeks behind that regularly in terms of things they've done, said and whatever. So, at reckoning, I believe Dominic Mackay, the incoming CEO of Celtic, said we'll be looking at about twelve thousand for the first home league game of the season. What's that, 25%? Ah, if, if that's based that, but that's only based on what's went previous. It's not based on anybody saying this is what you'll have. I, first of all, I mean, I don't know if, how you can um, talk to this. I didn't think many sales supporters realise that, right? I didn't, I think, a lot of people think there's going to be 60,000 people. And look, we are fucking miles away from that in Scotland. Miles yeah. away from that. So, as you say, in clubs... Haven't you sell season tickets? How do you sell season tickets? I know. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't know how. Actually, there's been a lot of times I've thought the clubs are just kind of being oblivious and sort of uh, strong-headed and just ignoring facts. But I do feel sorry for them in this place because how are you meant to have any kind of plan for the future if you don't? If you just genuinely don't know, you don't even know what you're selling to people. No, you're not. And that's it. I mean, Celtic themselves have held a series of meetings over the last two weeks, which um, haven't really amounted to much, to be quite honest. Um, what was noticeable was that any time there was any kind of, and I'm talking about we, like the entire Celtic executive, as they call themselves, any time anybody went down the road of, look, we know we've pissed you off, but we need money to win the league, people just shut them down completely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not good enough. Nowhere near fucking good enough. And, you know, one of the things that was very prevalent among Celtic fans was that, you know, a lot of people were saying, I can afford to buy my season ticket, but I want to also help others. And, you know, that became a real, real juggernaut towards the, you know, executive and all that, to the point where, you know, kind of fans proposed a hardship fund that, Mm. you know, fans could access if they were in need. And, um... It's kind of poo-pooed a wee bit by the fucking executive. I'm not talking about the board, it's like the series of people that work there. And now it's kind of went back in a different shape or format. But, you know, to be honest with you, I'm exasperated. Like, I've seen their campaign, did thought it was awful. And, you know, had no re- reference to last season, no reference to COVID, no reference to recession. And I just thought, this is garbage, like. You know, this is utter fucking garbage. And on the basis of, well, we've seen, you know, things like Ajax melting down trophy to give bits to their fans. Motherwell being three options to pay and one of them is nothing. Um, It's difficult to see clubs getting away with this kind of stuff for much longer. Mm. You know, the way people are right now, you know... Sorry, go ahead. I know, so I was just got to say, I agree. Like, it's hard to just keep saying, give us money, we know, we need sort of outline as to how you'll get value for that or if you'll get value for that. Um, I know Hearts are talking about releasing information um, next week, I think, about season tickets. They say they've deliberately no mentioned anything because we're trying to see as much, like, leave it as long as possible to try and get assurances for crowds and stuff. They say that they've got a, a range of flexible options that I think there's ways you can hold your seat longer without paying anything to see if you want to keep keep it on. Mm. But they've no said exactly what that'll be, so I'm interested to see what the flexible options are. I'd like to think they've tried to be quite innovative and actually offer solutions or 
or even sort of staggered things for people who are maybe on different sort of a different footing financially. You know well, what I mean? Rather one than one of the things that happened with Celtic last summer because they basically got a donation. Everybody knows that was that the Zebra Finance that offered people ten instalment plans went bust, mm-hmm. and a company called V Twelve took over, and their threshold was much higher for accepting people, and so a lot of people didn't qualify. And suddenly we're like, if you need, if you uh, want to keep your season ticket, you need to find six hundred pound the next week or something. Um, so one of the ones where the people that needed it most got bumped, and they were also having to find that money when everybody knew they weren't going to be in games. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, although Celtic went the opposite way and kept, oh no, we we'll back in September, October, and but you know, nonsense. We're in the same position again, and it's. You know, about this has went beyond anything to do with success for me, you know, because, like, you know, we had success in the Ronnie Dialand, we had 15,000 empty seats, you know, it's a lot about me and success and all that. This is about, you know, sending out the right signal to people who are absolutely struggling. And unfortunately, the executive is Celtic, and I'm sure that's the same for a lot of other boards and stuff like that, they didn't have to struggle with anything, they didn't even pay for the tickets they're going to set the prices for. You know what yeah. I mean? And so, asking them to have, you know, when I follow up meeting with one of the members of the executive, I said one of the things that was brilliant about the forum was so many people stepping up and saying, I can afford it, I want to help others. And the fucking person said back, oh, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> and I thought, fuck me, you know? Um, so, we'll wait and see, I suppose. But again, I feel like, you know, we're in uh, 23rd of May right now and people are still clueless about what's happening with our season tickets it's just season starts in August I know well, and there'll be games for July onwards isn't it so well, I, exactly and, um, and particularly like when you think about um, Hearts are pretty much the same as Celtic and you know what I suppose it, you've still got a manager that's universally unpopular you're being asked to buy season tickets when you know you don't know if Nielsen's there or no and you, you might not want him there you don't know what players are going to be there, and so on. I mean, we've, you know, we've lost a CEO, manager, and captain in the last three months. Mm-hmm. And you've no idea what's coming in. You know, and that, exactly, and yet they're getting nasty blingly say he's six hundred quid. No, yeah. you know. So, but aye. So speaking of tickets, um, you're sort of in a position now where you're kind of waiting. Um, or hanging by the telephone, as Blondie would say, for ticket regarding Scotland tickets? Aye, as it stands, I didn't meet the criteria for the, the tickets we've got. Mm. Um, if the points drop, we might have an outside chance of getting one for the, the Euro games. Um, but even that, the way that's been handled, like, I guess they've limited numbers. There's only got something like 2,000 per home game. Right. And we've got like 3,000 3, or something for Wembley. Um, and I'm convinced we actually the SFA have skimmed a, a, a thousand tickets off the top or something in the Wembley allocation because mm-hmm. all the chat was it was going to be like 3,800 and then when it came to actually selling it it was like under 3,000 so it's probably gone on the fucking the pocket say folk that didn't deserve it as it normally does so in t- so you're saying 2,000 for a home game how was the total capacity going to be? 12,000 so who's the other 8,000 going to be? Uh, well, there'll be 2,000 to the home team, 2,000 to the away team, but then I don't even know if they can travel in. Yeah. And then the rest will be like, you know, UEFA had their section that they were selling tickets in a general sale to, and then there'll be some sponsors in that. 
for me, any spare ticket should have just been split between the home nation. Uh, sorry, the nation's playing. Um, but if Croatian and, and Czech fans kind of come, I think it should have just been a case again that allocation to Scotland fans. And not just Scotland, that's the same for other countries mm. about Europe that are hosting games. Like, what's the point in, in keeping allocations for people that can't go? Because no, they'll just probably fall in the hands of the wrong people. It, it seems just really, really bizarre. I mean, after, one of the things, things that I thought was absolutely scandalous today in the Premier League was they were selling hospitality, you know, for games. So in other words, if you could afford it, you could be there. Doesn't That's matter. Cool. Regardless, regardless if you were, you know, seen to get older, whatever, if you had that amount of money, you could be there. I mean, I, you know, and it's, it's, it's things like this where... That's what switches fans off the game. Mm-hmm. You know, it just... There is a... There is a I mean, one of the things I noticed was that... Um, and this this is one of the things I've, I've really accused Celtic of, actually. I don't know if you saw it, but I think it's June the 4th, Joe Glazer's going to talk to the Man United fans forum um, mm-hmm. for the first time ever. And the Man United Supporters Trust released a thing where they had basically said that they had evidence... The Joe Glazer at the meeting with, you know, Abramovich and uh, Fenway and all that mob, Ken, Etihad people and whatever, said, look, this is about the Far East fans. We didn't want the fans from England coming to the games. We want the ones that like to wear shiny kits and watch good players and then buy all the stuff in the show, right? And one of the people in there said, why? Specifically, and he said... The people who come from Manchester, in our opinion, they moan about everything. They're the first ones that come, that protest and everything. And we didn't want them anywhere. And if we do this, we'll still fill the ground, but it'll not be with the people, right? And, you know, it's a thing where I've thought, this is, has to have run through the heats of certain clubs with terms of supporters who are like, you know, we're not wearing this kind of thing and all the rest of it. Because, you know... The suspicion, let's face it, right? The suspicion amongst me's fans is the club are just basically trying to squeeze as much money out of you as possible, year in, year out, right? And you'll put up with it to a point. Me support. Some people will just pay regardless. I know that, but you'll put up to put up uh, with it to a point. But then once you get pushed too far, I think it's very difficult to bring the fans back. Aye, I think once you lose that kind of fan. They're the ones that care about the club. I mean, that's why they moan. It's why they, it's why they, to a certain point they'll take that shit. They'll be taken for mug, as mugs. Aye. And I think once you lose that, then you're right. It's hard to win them back because they've generally reached a, a boiling point that's enough's enough. I mean, and it's not about winning or whatever after that. The kind of, I mean, the Scotland things are a good thing because we, you know, we we know. Uh, UEFA basically spat the dummy about the Champions League final when they wanted to take it to Wembley and it was like well we need 3,000 tickets for our hospitality pricks Ken and you're like why do, why do you need that you know what the fuck you know just sitting there it was one night you know you've um, and just let Chelsea and Manchester City supporters fucking go or whatever Ken but no that's not good enough and it kind of sort of blends into I mean the Scotland thing you know Talking about Euro, I mean, we're going to do a Euros preview special in two weeks, so we'll not be delving into it much today, but this is a massive thing for the country, right? And unfortunately, we're in these fucking circumstances that... Now, I've said to you before, it's basically enough for me to sit in the house and watch it and say, you know, I'll be as, as excited and whatever, um, doing that as I would be at the games. Um, 
but it just feels like we are not a nation that are governed by people who give a fuck about football. It doesn't feel like it. Um, particularly, I, I take you mean Scotland specifically to that rather than Britain. But aye, 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 I, I do. Like I, I said to you the day, like the Morecambe game had what mm-hmm. like, it almost like a full capacity, and it was brilliant. social distancing and, and whatnot. It was brilliant. Aye, it was it. great because it's a big game and aye. the fans were in. Yeah, a hundred miles up the road. We're not all doing. You know what are you all doing then? Five hundred. Some of the playoff games are beginning. Like, it's we just seem so reluctant to actually look. Like, if you look at all the live events in England, they had as the test events and stuff. They had like, the FA Cup semis, they had the snooker, uh, they like, they danced festivals in Liverpool, and only 15 people out of 60,000 got That's COVID. Right. So obviously right. these places are near the breeding grounds that they're terrified of. It's got to be your pubs and stuff, rather than... Well, I mean, even that, I mean, the, the hospitality industry wasn't producing the big numbers when they shut it down the first time. Yeah. It was the schools going back. Everybody fucking knows that. You know people put I mean? each other this season or sitting and shooting and being stuff, but like they should, they should be looking at that evidence and saying, like, get crowds back because it helps the economy. It gives everybody a lift. Imagine you could even get fifty percent into Hamden for the Euro games. Yeah. But it, like the atmosphere, people would be buzzing for because talking about tickets, right? I figured out because it shows you the table, like how many points you go to, how many people in the travel club. Um, reach that threshold, and I'm going to five thousand. So, in any other circumstances, I would comfortably get a ticket for the the Euros in all the games. And it's a, it's a gutter to be able to take. And the, the weird thing is, that there doesn't seem to be any unity. Like you see people who are getting tickets and that bragging about getting it, and not giving a fuck about the people who are missing out on these things. See, the other thing about that is what, what and, and I'm all for rewarding the people that you know should be there and stuff like that. But for me. There has to be a windy for newer people, and by new people I mean younger people, who haven't had mm-hmm. a chance to build up points and so on and so on. This was a kind of debate around Celtic three years ago where younger people were coming in. And then, of course, you get the folk who will say, oh, why should I fucking give up my ticket? I've been gone every week since... Well, they've not had the opportunity to do that, you know what I mean? Uh, in general, I, I get why points have been used for a, a limited number just now. In general, I, there should be a chance for these folk to, to go to a big tournament and stuff. Because I'll, there's been weird general sales and stuff, so there'll be all the fans that have that with their went before. So, because I think quite a, a number of the tickets are for the UEFA one. That's what I'm saying as well. I had a ticket for the Croatia game via the UEFA ballot. Mm-hmm. I bought them two years ago, and then they fucking got cancelled. I've just got an email saying that's that's taken off you. It's just, it's a bit it's a sickener, like. But then I'm not the only one that's happened to, so I'm not pretending that I'm special or anything. But it is a serious when you go to all the shit. <laughs> If it was for Lucy's tickets would appear, you know, yeah. they, they, they do for anything, you know what I mean? It's, it's, well, that's something like my brother says, do you want to go down to London anyway? For the for Wembley game, I can't think of anything worse. Because no, go no. down to a pub, have that shit, then watch everybody fuck off to the game. Well, I watch the tell it would be heartbreaking for me. But if it was 90,000 there, you'd go down on the chance that you well, get a ticket. Aye, of course, aye. I mean, that's the difference. You go, I mean, obviously, you know, being to Wembley, Fuck all around Wembley, right? There's yeah. one pub around the Greyhound. Um, so there'd be a best chance of getting a ticket, obviously, even if it is a loose capacity to go to Wembley. So at what point do you go, right, I'm not going to get one? And then you Probably jump the tube, fuck off back to Baker Street or something, and some cunt phones you and say, I've just got a ticket. You know, know, or something like that. It's, it's a nightmare. And also, uh, there's, a, I'd say, mere chance of bother in London yeah. for Scotland fans, especially one in pubs. Came out of I, the game I, I, I think, like, as I say, if it, was, if it wasn't a reduced capacity, I'd probably take the risk and go down. 
But no, I'm not, there's no danger. I mean, I'd go to this circumstance. We went to that hostel place about twelve years ago. You know, the first mm-hmm. one, the, the generator, and I, I watched England against France in the two thousand and four European Championships. I was doing my average Joe Muller, and the reason we watched it in there was because every other pub was like the Thatcher and Patriot, you know, John Bull. I mean, it was like, I'm not, I'm not standing watching it among these cunts. Whereas you go to a hostel, it was an international crowd, eh, and it was a completely aye. different atmosphere. Um, and I, I totally get it. And I mean, in the black there, see, even if you went doing there, blah, 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 knee ticket, it's still going to cost you a fucking fortune. Aye. Trains are all booked, flights are booked, so you're paying premium for them. Hotel, and it's fucking, what, six, seven quid a pint when you're doing there as well, so aye, like... Aye. and for piss. <laughs> a pure northern attitude there. Fucking <laughs> shandy drinking bastards. Uh, <laughs> but this all kind of leads into the main topic that we've got to talk about, we've kind of started it, is football for the working classes. And and I've, I've, I'll give my spiel that I've kind of felt this for a long time now, that the working classes, I mean, the game was stolen for the working classes in the 1990s, in my opinion, you know. And we get, to, I'll bring it to the future, and we get to the point where we get a European Super League proposed. And it's fucking interesting because in 10 years ago, if you'd said to me, do you think there should be a European Super League? I'd say, aye. Okay, because I think, you know, we might have a chance of being in it. And, you know, if we were in it, then it might be a subdivision and other teams and so on and great. But of course, away it went round. But then you go to the point where Sky Sports and the Tory party were lecturing on greed. And mm. you're thinking, and they're going, oh my God, and all the rest of it. And you're thinking, well, this isn't the, what the Premier League done. This is exactly. exactly what the Premier League done. The only difference is they retained the pyramid system. You know, that, that's it. Secondly, when the likes of Lineker and Shearer tried to play the man of the people, they didn't do that because they were like, oh, the Premier League's great. They done that because they seen their gravy train disappearing. You know, mm. their cushy number. You know, Shearer gets £2 million a year for working for the BBC. For doing what? He's fucking useless as a pundit, isn't you know, he? He's, he's terrible. And he always... He's one of the people... He's a bit like Chris, actually. The minute you say something he disagrees with, he gets aggressive. He's like... <laughs> you know. And Pish, you know... For me, it's about what the lockdown has showed more than anything in terms of football is football is nothing without the fans. Absolutely mm-hmm. nothing without the fans. And just for anybody my United supporters listening, and it wasn't Matt Busby that said that, it was Joe Steen. But the fans make it, you know? The fans made that game at Morecambe today because it was mm-hmm. fucking... Morecambe scored early, it's all over, but it's no. They'd get a goal and suddenly it's like, oh, what was that? And we should say, we did discuss it earlier, it was good to see Derek Adams continuing his reputation of being an absolute lunatic by trying to <laughs> assault the fourth official after his team had scored. For God. <laughs> spoke about him before, man. He's fucking... He's, a, he's nuts. It's, it's funny how he, he was mentioned on the show, I think, for the first time ever, about two weeks ago when you talked about the Jamie Hamill thing. Um, the other thing I'd say about uh, Derek Adams, and this might not apply to a lot of listeners, but have you ever seen Derek Adams and Ewan Murray in the same room? <laughs> they're, one, very, they're very similar. I once said that to Ewan Murray, and his second word was off. So, <laughs> But aye, so, you know, I, I just feel we've lost the game completely. I, 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 don't, like, I don't think... Football now is ever going to be the working class sport. It was in terms of it was only working classes, and 
And I suppose now, in this kind of climate, it's almost reverse snobbery if you try and stop people who are better off coming into it when clubs need money or whatever. But when you go to games, the majority of fans are still working class, but it's people who, like young guys, who spend all their spare money going home and away. Mm-hmm. And at some point, it's become an option for them when they have kids or whatever, or or they maybe lose their job, or, or and then they don't go. It's a pricing. It's completely, even in Scotland now, it's completely pricing people out of the game. Yes. And you've got to, you've got to try and keep these people on board because that's where it comes to. You. It's guys taking their son into the next generation, and if you if you're pricing them out, they're just going to stop going and they'll take them to something else. And and then you will lose that core. Like I, I still think it feels pretty working class when you're at the games in Scotland anyway. Like if you go to a game in England, it feels like a completely different sport. Like. Well, I, what I noticed in England, right, I agree. There's much, there they are more, much more kind of hospitality prone sandwich types at games in England. But the ones at Urney, the ones at class, are really, really aggressive. <laughs> they, they didn't like the environment they're in. You know, I remember. I don't know if I told this story before. I was at Old Trafford for a Man United Liverpool game once. Right, game just kicked off and I had an empty seat beside me. I was sitting the opposite end of the Stratford end and next to Liverpool fans. And this boy appeared, right? And, you know, straight away, 35, 40 yards away, you're thinking, nutcase, right? <laughs> you just knew. And he starts to meander up, obviously half cut, right? He looked a wee bit like Dirk Lehman, right? <laughs> With a moustache, though. And uh, I thought, it did dawns on me. I thought, oh, Christ, this can't sit in here, eh? So he comes down, and he sits down beside me. And he's like, all right, mate. And I'm like, all right. My name's Keith. You must know me, don't you? And I was like, no. Where, where are you from? And I told him, all oh, right, fair enough, fair enough. So next thing, he was like fucking, fucking tapped on, and this just shows you Man United knowing their audience. He's tapping his pockets and he was like, eh, fuck, I forgot my fucking Rizzlers. And I had real fags at the time. You could still smoke in games. I went here to that. He said, no, no, I'll just go down and buy a packet. Man United sold Rizzlers for their concession <laughs> stand, right? Again, knowing their audience, right? So, the big story at the time was, Man United had played this team called the Brecon. Mm. And they got beat 1-0 away from him, right? And a rumour went round that they deliberately threw the game or didn't try that hard so they'd get a full house at Old Trafford in the return leg, right? So, the fans, some of the fans at the airport let the team know this. And apparently Beckham fucking went over to them and basically like, you call yourself Man United fans, you're a fucking disgrace. And somebody walked up to him and said, listen, you better get the fuck out of here now or you're going to get knocked out. And he kind of went away sheepishly. Next thing, this boy, he's, he's t- Aye, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the whole game, he was just, see, if you watch the game, right, if the ball went out to play or waited for a corner or something like that, he'd be up, you scouts bastards, you scouts bastards. Ball would go and play, sit back down again. Goes out again, you scat. And it was like that, and I was like, fucking hell, this guy's ready to explode. You know, and I felt that at a lot of games. And I agree, there is less um, sort of upper classes that watch football and all that kind of thing. I mean, when I used to go years and years and years ago on the buses and that, everybody was working class on the bus. There was one guy who was deemed as posh because he read The Scotsman. You know what I mean? And you sit there with his big paper and he once complained about the rebel tapes being too loud. I can't read my paper, they got to tell the fuck off. Yeah. Um but it was affordable then. You know, mm-hmm. everybody who went then on that bus particularly went home and away. 
you know, and it was like two fifty again or something like that. Okay, and this is like in the late eighties and stuff. And um, if they did, they, if they missed one game, they got absolutely crucified for it. Where the fuck you mean? You know, uh, oh well, I uh, fucking shopping at Asda, your wife, your fucking prick, you know. And it, that's what. Oh, and I mean now, you know, you dare and you dare say to anybody, why were you not at the game? Mm. It could be a million reasons. Maester probably I couldn't afford that. I, I think as well, like as much as the ticket prices are too high, it's the cost of the whole day. Because if you're going for like an away day, it's a lot of folk didn't just drive to the game, go to the game, and then leave. You know what I mean? They go for a, they get the train or whatever, and have a few beers and like meet up people. And yeah. I, I can't believe this country we didn't have like there's no deals about like you get football fans will get train discounts or something like that. Aye, there's that's a no-brainer for me. Scotland would make a fortune by taking a wee bit of money off. Mm-hmm. And fans would feel like they're not just getting taken for a ride on every aspect they're trying to get out of the country. You see, the other thing you mentioned there is, you know, the typical do you go to the chain, go for a couple of pints, not right? Is this the same as my theory, which is, in my old work, I'd, two, sorry, two years ago I'd been to Paris, and you can, it was just when your daughter was born, and you can yourself Paris, extortionate, right? And there was a, a woman in my old work last summer, no, no last, we couldn't have been last summer, it was before lockdown, obviously, going to Paris, we had girlfriend, right? And uh, I was like, by the way, quite expensive, this, that, next thing, and she goes, I'm taking 200 euros, eh? And I was like, eh? I said, I said, you'll need to me on that, like, eh? She's gone for four days. So anyway, she comes back, and I said, oh, how'd you get on? She goes, I she's only spent 180. And I'm like, and I'm like, she must be over fucking evil, what's wrong with this with her? But it dawned on me, right? The reason why is because I was out pissed every night, spending an absolute fucking fortune. And that's the problem. You wouldn't need anywhere near as much money if you didn't drink as much. Well, hey, that's true. That's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I think that, obviously, that day out and going for a few pints and catch up with folk is part of like, the working class experience of going to football. Mm. It's, a, it's a way to keep in touch with people when, and go, going for a few pints as part of like the game the ritual for a lot of people but aye if you didn't drink as much then quite cool it wouldn't cost, I mean, cost as much remember that time I think it was about what what's this 20, 2010 you had that drinking problem oh god and uh, I mean even Chris was saying that and he doesn't bother about anything normally you know that that's relevant you know he bothers about everything else but um, you know, if, if everything you do is surrounded by drink, it's got to cost you a lot more. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing or anything like that, but, um, you know, there is always that to gain. But for me, it's not just the fact that it's the whole thing, the season ticket culture is one thing, you know, where it's like, we need all your money right now, mm-hmm. you know? Because when we get all your money right now, that means we can basically act like politicians and only give a fuck about you one time a year. We're politicians one time every five years or every election. Whereas, you know, if certain clubs were having certain bad seasons, fans would just be like, fuck this, I'm not one. And they would be but like, as clubs, like, you touched on it earlier, like credit agreements and stuff for mm. season tickets, and you're, you're getting charged maybe £25 right. total season ticket. I don't like that at all. No. It's encouraging people who probably shouldn't be mm-hmm. able to take credit. Why like, can the clubs not directly have a, a, a monthly? Fund. You give I mean, them the, the, the talk about things like oh well we're not a credit agency and all that kind of thing but you know it's like coming into the real world you know I, I don't know what it's like at other clubs but Celtic didn't even do automated tickets you mm. know I mean 
you go to the cinema, book it online, go pick the ticket, you need to speak to anybody. Oh. And you're in. Um, I was at cinema on Monday, had the booking on the phone. The, the, the lassie just said to me, well, one of you got to see you. He said, Peter Rabbit, three years, I in you go. Mm-hmm. It didn't even need to build. They buy the tickets, to be quite honest. But, you know, it's a modern world and I just feel as though it's, it's getting, the way football's gone is, I mean, what I think was exposed basically in Scotland in the lockdown was that clubs are very badly run. You know, the blind panic that they all went into. And you cannot run a business like that. No. You know, you've got to have safeguards, surely. Well, I think that's it. They all have, the vast majority of clubs live hand to mouth, don't they? Like, they'll have maybe, they're seen to set them up for the year mm. as like a cash flow. And then when you didn't get that, or people start questioning what they're, what they're paying it for, they start, you're right, they start panicking. And I think last season, a lot of people bought scene tickets almost like a donation, knowing they wouldn't get much fit. I think probably most folks would get some games back at the end of the season or whatever. But, um, aye, you kind of went into it knowing that. I just wonder how many folk will do the same thing this year. Well, I mean, I dis- one of the discussions I was in was, guys, says, you know, it's about success. You know, the Celtic plus, but bring in Eddie Howe, fans will buy season tickets. Which I said to him, if he brought in Pep Guardiola the on, that doesn't put £600 in my pocket to buy a season ticket. <laughs> you know, it's, it's as simple as that. Um, I also think clubs think fans have all got money under the mattresses, that they're basically hoarding, which is the exact opposite of what working class people do. Working class people spend money, it's the rich that hoard money. You know, that's... But it has come in, I mean, I also think um, there's no recognition, and this goes back to working classes again, of how much people are expected to pay for television, football, mm-hmm. and all the different channels and all that, and Sky and BT and Premier Sports and your own club channel. And I mean, who the fuck? You know, no wonder everybody under the sun's got a bloody fire stick. I know, I know. It's it's hard to take. I didn't personally do it, right? Because mm-hmm. I don't know why. I, I I just like the convenience of having the channels ready and knowing to find a book with apps and stuff, right? But you're right, how many packages do you need if you want to watch everything? Like Amazon has games now as well, and Premier Sports have games, and as you say, BT and Sky, and fans, that's on top of having a season ticket and going to games and stuff. It's it's, far, it's an expensive fucking hobby, like football, and well, well, I guess that, that that's where it cripples your working classes. Is you and can't also, that's what creates a lot of animosity, because if you're paying a fortune, you get more angry if you're not seeing what you want to see. You know, I mean, it's no guaranteed entertainment. That's not what I'm looking for. But I'm looking for, you know, what I'm looking for is a type of hunger that St Johnston showed yesterday to my teams, and I didn't see that. You know, is they get so much money and I'll come on to it later and stuff like that. But it's it's a I think I think a lot of clubs and I think Celtic are the absolute top of the tree here have lost the trust of their fans this season for all the promises and all the bullshit. You know that that, that came out and. Uh, you know, we had our our pasty paradise, as it was called, the club channel, was a half an hour of Celtic songs, first by that asshole John McLaughlin who couldn't spell Celtic. Then the fans complained that much to go there, and then you got half an hour's build up of a game, and basically that was it finished after the game. And you're like, that's pathetic. Like, mm. I mean, you should be the least you should be doing is putting on a top class presentation for your fans who are all paying 500 quid a fucking year for this product you know what I mean and it, unfortunately it, it wasn't in it and then Celtic hung themselves 
absolutely hung themselves on saying we'll, we'll add value to the season ticket mm. and they've never done it and they've no idea how to do it you know what I mean and they'll probably just hope that that goes away and people forget they said that in the first place aye that was definitely the thought that to get them back to games they don't care well you never got them back to games so but that's that football for the working classes uh, so I mean the season itself has been you know bizarre to say the least um, and I'm not just talking about what's happened on the pitch I mean obviously St Johnston uh, have won a cup double first team to do that since Aberdeen outside the Celtic Orleans on that wee tangent by the way I feel like strangling Liam McLeod <laughs> why? because he can't get anything right he said yesterday and of course fucking McFadden's next to him eh? he said yesterday in the last 20 years, there's only three teams that have scored the first goal in a cup final and lost. Celtic in 2002, Dunfermline in 2004, Aberdeen in 2017. Well, we don't know. I said, hell, we're in 2019. Aye, it's the first one of the mind. You know, and, and he's paid to do that. Um, but aye, I mean, St Johnston winning the cup double, first of all, obviously, shows the absolute non, uh, nonsense that the manager of the year award does. Because for me, I don't, what, I don't know what your opinion is, but for, for, for what St Johnston done this season, to me, is a quinn to Celtic winning the quadruple treble. I, I think it's it's bizarre that, we've said it before, I could watch uh, things so early, it's, it's backfired before. Like, John, John, did John Pusno get one year in it, but it's hinging on whether he won the final or not. I mean, it was like... Uh, uh, but tops Bishop Johnston when it's seen as a good season, like a relatively good season, on the basis it was a transitional season, Davidson never been on the job, uh, cuts with COVID and all that. But to get top six and a cup double is, is phenomenal. Like it is genuinely an outstanding achievement. It probably wouldn't be beaten again for a long time. Um, no. I mean, obviously, the last... Sorry? He should be manager of the year. It's as simple as that. Yeah. He is manager of the year. It's... Um... The last time anybody done it was Aberdeen in 89-90 season. They beat the Huns in the 89 uh, League Cup final and, and Celtic in the final on penalties in um, And they obviously they'd previously done it under Ferguson in 85-86 beating uh, Hibs and Hearts 3-0 obviously. But it's the astonishment factor of, you know, every time you say it, it's like he's now the most successful manager in St Johnson history. You know, David, <laughs> David Wallerspoon is now the most decorated player in St Johnson's history. You know, as you see in his first season, and people kept saying, "Oh, but how can you top it next season or that kind of thing?" Listen, if you're St Johnson, you're living off this for about 30, 40 years. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it's actually. Funny. Also, I seen that question, and it actually pissed me off because I just feel like saying, "Let the boy enjoy the moment." Mm. He's literally just won the cup and you ask him how he's got to top it. Like, Aye. just leave him alone and then let him enjoy it for a bit. I actually got annoyed at that question. Was, you know, they were saying, like, oh, well, you might lose players. Well, that's the price of success. Again, mm-hmm. okay, there definitely will be clubs in for the players, some of the players, because they've been absolutely phenomenal. They're yeah. not getting away from it. Um, but they just, I mean, the whole, you know, where I really felt it with the, with the COVID and all that in the season was, was in the dark months of winter. Um, particularly the cup final, you know, Celtic Kiss one for last season, it was just awful. Ken watching that and it just oh no, this is horrible, Ken. Um 
And then just you know, when the clubs just decided, you know, oh, we'll just meet the game six o'clock now and we'll just do this and we'll just do that. And you're like, who are you consulting with us? Why do you think you can keep making decisions without any consultation with your own supporter base? You know, it's because of the fans. I just thought the fans will get what they're given. But some of the, the decisions to move games were bizarre. Like, the game's kicking off at five o'clock on Tuesdays and stuff and folk are still working. And I mean, just need what all. Obviously, one of the other kind of real big story was the collapse of Celtic, which was, you know, I think a lot you know, people might think, I mean, the amount of people that fucking said to me, like, derogatory-wise, ones like, ah, I probably shouting about 10 in a row of your life, and then, I was like, you see, people, people didn't even see for years, the minute Celtic hired Neil Lennon in the shower 2019, that's when the downfall started. And the only reason it wasn't quicker is because the Huns collapsed after going to Dubai, you know, a year and a half ago. Mm. It's been, you know, it's been something that was in, in, the, in the, I mean, I never thought it would be that bad. But, you know, I'll take you back to one of the big moments of the early in the season when Celtic played good, beautiful Ferenc Varos. And Neil Wayne basically coming out and said, there's harmony in the dressing room, the players that didn't want to be here. And you're like, right, good, get rid of them. And then we never got rid of anybody. Uh, and that doesn't bode well for a season, you know? He also dug players publicly a, a few times, and you maybe get away with it and get a reaction once mm-hmm. or something, but when you start doing it more often, you can tell that's a part of a deeper problem as well. Mm. And then he starts going down the Gordon Strachan route, making you think you watch a different game. <laughs> and he does his press conference. And it's almost like they're digging in, you know? Mm-hmm. And people who know him, I mean, I, I didn't know him, but... People I know who know him say that's what it's like, you know, he's, he likes to fight the world and, you know, if you hear everybody in the room saying one way, you'll say the other, you know, that kind of thing, which is fine. But when it starts to, you know, uh, temper with the fucking fans, stu- you know, being basically being stupid and saying, oh, well, you, you didn't care what you're talking about and all that kind of thing. Um, and then, of course, the whole uh, Dubai fiasco, which was just, you know, again, one of the things I've heard for so many sales supporters recently is, he said the fact that Celtic made an apology and then said but uh, you know and they just could not get it I mean the maybe would tell them it's not the fact you went to Dubai which is a disgrace in itself it's the fact that you went to Dubai and went on the piss while we were all in our fucking hooses couldn't leave and we're watching you fucking idiots try to play football badly you know it's and, and then he comes back and blows his top at a press conference now if anybody with any football sense knows the reason Celtic lost the league this season you could talk about the bad start and the games early on and all that kind of thing it was January that lost Celtic the league because they had they played you know they dropped got beat off St Mun got beat off the Sevco um, drew with Hibs got beat off Livingston drew with Livingston all the points for the exact margin we went behind in the start of February Simple as that, but unfortunately, at the point where we really, really had to defend our title, we were without a whole squad of players and manager for two games, and yeah. yet that's somebody else's fault. Well, that's they came out and started complaining about that, didn't they? Saying right. that it's had to, had to win so many players and what. If you take that kind of risk, then that's what happens. I mean, ah, you're right, and unfortunately, um, there have been other instances. Where teams, let's face it, the Sevco seem to get away with murder with it. You know, they've had, you know, Nathan Patterson got banned and suspended and all the rest of it. 
and then went to another loose party last week and nothing gets said. Whereas, you know, when Basil, uh, Basil Bolly, Ball and Golly went to fucking Spain, it was like Sturgeon was ready to shot footballing and Aberdeen players went to the bar. Both wrong, obviously, but Sturgeon was literally ready to shot footballing and mm. told Celtic and Aberdeen not to play their next two games. You know, it, it, so you can add fuel with that fire, but aye, I mean, the, and, and of course, the consistency of Sevco, you know, to go the league season unbeaten, um, you know, I think ties into what we said earlier about Hibs. I don't think it's a strong league by any stretch of the imagination. Um, yeah, but I, think, I mean, it's not, it's not like impressive. It's, it's hard today like, to keep that concentration and that, that level of consistency, and it's an impressive like points total and stuff. Um, mm. I, th- I think they're genuinely, especially at home, they just didn't seem to lose goals at all. No, I mean, quite a few times I've seen them riding their luck at home, but then the longer it's went on, they've kind of ended up doing it against us yeah. in January. Hibs were another one. St Johnston sort of exposed me a bit in the cup. Um, and it's interesting the two teams that beat them, St Johnston and St Mum, you know, no two of the top teams, but two teams that play in simply in similar styles and with similar kind of desire and belief for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I um, really kind of I mean, and all sorts of bizarre things that kind of came around during the season um, you know I kind of think that some teams actually benefited from not having fans in the ground and other teams mm-hmm. completely capitulated because of it you know I mean I think I think the Hunts benefited from it because they were under a lot of pressure and the band you know and suddenly they could, they could express themselves and stuff like that but well, that definitely made a bit of part because if they were in games that were tight and they had to win mm-hmm. the fans would start turning on them um, and that's just natural for most clubs who are like they're quick to win a game fans get nervous and, and, and start doing that Hibs as well I think were affected in terms of their home performances mm-hmm. were actually pretty pressure it was their away performances right. where they could turn up and play their own game which is maybe if teams had their, their home fans Hibs might have struggled a wee bit more the, I think Hibs are actually the embodiment of this season you know, they finished third, which if they'd said that at the start, they'd have been bite your hand off. Yet, but most of the fans are completely pissed off. Uh, many mm-hmm. big games they've lost, you know, twice as Johnson at Hamden, once they Hertz. You know, that's unacceptable. And that, you know, that has to come down to mentality because they've got good enough players. Yeah. Well, they went until three day games probably as the bookie's favourite. Aye. And, and couldn't handle the pressure. And that, that will... That game yesterday will stick with Hibs fans for a long time because you got stewed over the summer, stew over it over the summer, and it takes a shame of finishing third. Because you mm. win a cup in third, that's that's probably as good as it gets as a Hibs fan. Oh that's what I say. I say yesterday that if Hibs had won the cup, that had been their best season since 1951-52 when they last right. won the league. Because they've never done anything better than that. But it's fine margins of football, and now you know they're kind of they're now looking at. I mean Jack Ross. Was interviewed after the game yesterday and basically said, you know, well, I don't know what to lose anybody, but if it's sweet my control, I'll need to rebuild again. So in other words, if we're going to lose about eight players, you know. That's that's the bottom line, like, you know. But anyway. So I was going to say as well on just on that one. He got asked after the game about his like his view of the players and he was like, I'm, I'm proud of them, they've been magnificent all season, but like I know you're trying not to chuck people under the bus and stuff, but that's not what Hibs fans want to hear. How magnificent they are when they've just been meek. And, and completely rolled over in a cup final problem is nobody wants to accept responsibility for anything in football you put your hands up and say I'm not going to apologise to the fans but that's the fucking cue card for some people to go right get rid of him you know uh, what I mean he's I too weak you know, he's admitting he's, he's completely at his depth you know 
Anyway, moving swiftly on, and we go with our, after all that slanging, teams of the year. <laughs> so I thought I would just go through it 1 to 11. You won, me won, you, you know, that kind of thing. So who do you got in goals? Uh, I've got McGregor. I think he had a tremendous season, to be same honest. Here, same here. And I don't think there's many other standouts in, in the top flight. I think he is the reason they remained undefeated. I think there's a few games he actually saved their bacon and uh, us in January being one. Um, but you can't, you can't grumble with his stats and also the fact that he's age and he's still gone and all that kind of thing. So, number two? Uh, right back, I went for uh, Tavernier. Same I, I think... I think with for right back to get as many goals and assists as he did, oh, and be part of a defence that was solid as well. Well, aye, but I'd <laughs> also be part of a defence that was that never gave away much as well. Yeah. I, th- I think he was a clear standout in that that position. Aye, I mean it's. I mean obviously he did score a lot of penalties, but he did have a few um, himself and a couple of free kicks and all that as well. Um, Tadex, I think, was one of them. Aye, um, and at that point they were really playing strongly because of him. So he. Uh, uh, left back number three. Uh, left back, another uh, one for Ibrox is uh, Barris, which I went for. I think he he's something that never really stuck out for me as being that impressive. Also, it was all right, mm. not special, but I think he had a really consistent season, and in Europe and that he looked a good player as well. So I I was toying with the idea of Josh Doig, but mm. I don't think he was good enough consistently enough uh. to what I seen. Well, I went for Josh Doig, and the reason I went for him is I just couldn't stomach picking any more Huns. I've not, I've got one, but um, I suppose, like, you look back on his career, and, you know, he had to fight through a lot of adversity to get to the Hibs first team, and he's now put himself in a position where you believe he's definitely leaving, you know, he's got offers, on, there's offers in already, and so on. Um, it's a hell of a lot to learn, as we saw yesterday, but definitely got the maintenance, and I said, I think I said it on here, even after I saw Frim Prom roast him that time, I still saw enough for him to say that's not going to be the end of him, you know what I mean? And he bounced back for that. Um, but, you know, that's, he needs to be reminded of that kind of level that Frim Prom was at, and that's the kind of level you need to get to as a fullback, you know? Uh, number four? Um, I went for Jason Kerr from St Johnston. Mm-hmm. I just thought, given that they've won the two cups, I thought he was the most impressive at their centre halves. Um, and he'd St Johnston to me look like they're made a great unit rather than great yeah. individuals, but he's just been brilliant. Like he's he's positionally great, uh, good in there, solid. Just really doesn't let them down. And I, I thought um, kind of he was a standout for me. Yeah, I picked him as well, and I also want to talk about his leadership qualities because I think he's immense. He talks like a captain, and uh, there's no there's no kind of messing about nears or graces. He's just the kind of leader man, and that's very rare at teams. Like St Johnston because you normally get a vote for them, you know. Uh, number five. Aye, I, I don't know. You may be telling me I'm wrong with on this one, but uh, you'll see Miriam. But I picked the uh, I, I thought he had a, a considering how like, Celtic performed. That wasn't a great season. I thought he stood out as one of your uh, better performers, and he showed a, a good sort of leadership, cons- considering like basically forty shit around him that he kept his levels really uh, consistent. He um, he is definitely a leader. He's definitely brilliant at going forward with the ball. He's definitely a good passer of the ball. It's just that he struggles with defending, <laughs> and that's something as a central defender. Um, you know, if if Stephen Welsh had been there the whole season, he'd been in my team because he's been absolutely rock solid, consistent. That level of consistency as a defender, where you didn't even notice he's playing, 
Because mm. there's no main mistakes in being caught out and all that kind of thing. Uh, I actually went for Connor Goldson just because I think he was pretty much in their team of the week and you know he was he improved definitely. Scored some vital goals as well. So uh, and I think that their defence was the basis of them, you know, winning the league. Um, number six. Uh, I went for um, Jamie McGrath. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Ran off at the start of the season, now he's in the team of the year. Aye. Well, I, I just think what was it, 17 goals and 6 assists for yep. St Mirren is a phenomenal return. He looks a really good player. Aye. Um, I don't, I, like central midfield, there wasn't too many guys that stood out for me as having like, great seasons, but 17 goals in the middle of the park for St Mirren is. It's brilliant. I think that speaks for itself to me. And no chance of being there next season, is it? I wouldn't have thought so, no. Um, number seven. Um, so did you have McGrath as well? Yes, I did. Uh, um, seven, uh, centre midfield, I went for Turnbull. Yeah. I thought, for the outside looking in, I thought he was Celtic's best player this season. He was. Um, he's a real threat, deserves to be in the Scotland squad. Had goals, he's got a good, great drive. I, I really like him. Uh, um, he can see a pass and what he what he lacks is, is what he's getting is game experience you know mm-hmm. and that's the knowledge of the game in terms of what positions to break up and stuff will get him instead I think, the, he's a I think as well I, I think as well people forget it. he's not that long back for a big injury no, as well you know what no, I mean no. to hit that level of consistency so quickly is exactly is and not just a big injury but the collapse of a big move a life changing move money and all the rest of it a lot could that would you know destroy a lot of people you know, but aye, brilliant. Um, number eight? Um, I went for uh, Stephen Davis. I think he had a really good season for Rangers. I think he was um, at his age and stuff as well. To, to st- I think people start to think they're over the hill and maybe not as good, but he really impressed me. He just manages games really well and he doesn't do anything too fancy, but he's always sort of keeps them ticking over in the middle of the park. Well, I went for Ali McCann. Uh, mm. I, I think he's been absolutely outstanding um, for St Johnston. Um, that's it, really. Um, number nine. Um, <laughs> an, another one is uh, Kent. As much as I thought it was a bit of a show pony, I think he, he turned up a, a quite a lot this season. A good, good amount of goals, good amount of assists, and he a lot of their attacking play went through him, and he was uh, quite a live wire. So I think he could. Uh, I think Rangers will probably struggle to hold on to him, to be honest. Aye, I think they struggled last season on, but they've done it, but um, I think Leeds are really interested in him. Um, I went for Kevin Nisbet, on the basis of, you know, released by Partick Fissile, goes to the scores a barrel, goes to Unfermline, goes to Hibs, other teams didn't take a chance, Hibs took the chance, paid money for him, and now he's got the Euros. You know, it's a pretty... Um, and I've seen him getting interviewed before the cup final, and he struck me as somebody who kind of... He basically admitted he was an idiot until mm. he, he screwed the nut a bit. He was going out all the time with it Partick, thought he was a big man and all that. And now, and I thought, mm, that actually could go far. Uh, number 10? Aye, well, my two forwards, I've got Nisbet as one of them as well. I think, I'll, I'll, similar to what you said there, like, I, I think he's had spells this season where he's been pretty poor and he's not been that consistent. But to score that many, I think he's second top scorer in the league. And to do that, as you say, coming for the championship and people think people more eyes were on like Shankland and stuff, I think, how he'd handle the step up. 
and this bit's been a, a far better player, I think. And he's shown a, a, he's got a decent side to his game in terms of touching Lincoln in that as well. But I think he can work on that. But just just for his first season in the top flight to, to get that goals return, and as you say, like he's probably going to get a move as well. And in the Scotland squads, I think I'd have him. In. Uh, well, I had Edward on the basis of that he was the top scorer. Um, if Edward tried in every game, he'd score sixty goals a season. But he just—he's the most infuriating player imaginable because you know what he's capable of, mm. and you only see it in fits and starts. I mean, it's like um, heard Craig Levine this week talking about the cup final in twenty nineteen, and he was like, "I—he was—I was quite surprised at how well we were doing." considering we were in bad form and such like that and playing against a good team you see and then Edward decided to turn up and that was it finished that's the kind mm. of player Edward does but he doesn't do it enough um, unfortunately he will probably go but he still managed to be top scorer so uh, and your last one it's, it's Edward like, I think in terms of forwards this season it's not been a, it's not been that great a standard to be honest mm. throughout the league but Edward top scorer and as you say, you could definitely do a lot more at certain points, but Aye. it's still a good goal return for a team that weren't exactly flying, you know what I mean? So, well, my, um, my, my, I think when he, in this game as well, he's, he's genuinely a tremendous player, mm. but it's it's that mental headspace of whether he can be arsed or not, I think. And that's, well, especially, especially when he was continually tearing it up for France under 21s, scoring mm. in France 45 goals he scored for them. Fucking incredible, you know? Well, my last one's a midfielder because I've kind of done it, you know, that 4-2 four, four kind of way. And it was Sean Rooney. Um, you know, he done well with the basic things, but for a, to score the two winning goals in two cup finals season, you have to, you know, go to give recognition of that. And he just seems like a big, honest boy. Um, mm. I've met his uncle, Benny Rooney, who used to be um, one of the books of Celtic trainer and all that kind of thing. Um, and he's a kind of guy, he's the kind of guy I'd want on my team. Big, strong guy, doesn't he get up? And he's, you know, that's, he, he said it after the game. He said, I knew, and you know where I'm going to be. The back post, mm. that's what I did. So so that's our teams of the year. A um, couple of ones that almost made it. Mark Connolly, I thought, had done all right at Dunn United. Um, uh, and Martin Boyle was close, but then that dive yesterday just took him away from the Oh, that's... After his game, he's really, really cut out because Aye. every week it seems to be. I know. And he'll get maybe some of them in but it's just... But you mean, when you're consistently getting booked for that kind of thing, there should be a week to get pulled up and get added punishment. And so does him. If you're a, a serial offender kind of thing, it's cheap. I think earlier on in the season, Jose described it as buying fouls. Aye, but even even in terms of that, though, that's... That's still that's cheating. Like it's still con- cheating, let's face it. But that's almost like waiting for the contact maybe and then getting hit. Whereas Boyle's just chucking himself in the positions that there's no contact. It's fucking Aye, the, the, the real definition of buying fills is what Chris Kane does. Throws his mm. body all over the place and hopes people come in behind him and all that. Uh, but unfortunately, idiots like James McFadden who pollute the airwaves have b- brought this in and all the morons go, oh, that's what it is. Which brings us segue beautifully on to our dicks of the year. Uh, I've got five of them, and of course the first one is James McFadden. <laughs> a man, I've never known a man achieve so much to have so little to offer. Um, you know, he had a fucking career that was highlighted by Scotland goals. Fair enough. He never really done anything at club level of note. He even fucking let it slip yesterday that he managed to uh, miss out on the Birmingham's only trophy in their entire history. Um, 
And he just talks continuous utter shite. Which is not only kind of gram- grammatically fucking awful, it just doesn't make sense half the time. Mm. You know? I had, I've, I've got more malice as well. And like, actually, he's, he's the kind of guy that in really small doses, I didn't mind, right? Because you're not necessarily looking for massive input for like a color commentator or whatever. It's just something to sort of keep it ticking along. But he's fucking everywhere. He's a pundit, commentator, he's on radio panels, BBC, Sky. Aye. And he's, it's, it's like he's to try to take every job possible gone this year to pay off his mortgage or something just to get in the way. He's captain obvious as well. Like, mm. If something happens in the game, he literally just describes what happened Aye. when they added insight to it. You see, that's what infuriates me because he's being paid to provide insight. Example yesterday, Jack Irvin chance. Goalie saves it. McFadden goes, big save. You know, really? I never noticed that. You know, but you're looking for insight. Give me something as a football player. You can tell me that I've done not know because I've never played professional football. Okay, you know what I mean? Mm. He just doesn't even... And he just sort of... It's when he sits here, he sits here on the sports scene and he's expressionless. He just fucking sits here and... Well, uh, 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 and you're like, you're not seeing anything. Your lips are moving, but you're actually not seeing anything. Um, yeah. Much like, I have to say, he's known my list, but Stephen Thompson's presenting yesterday. I mean, the guy can barely indulge in banter, never mind read a fucking autocue. Uh, well, I, I find that bizarre as well, though, because I actually felt a bit sorry for him, the fact that he quickly been chucked in the deep. Like, mm. Doing the old championship game like, for five minutes before it is one thing, and he's no comfortable doing that. Getting him the, the Scottish Cup final is bizarre. Like, I'm not a massive fan of Sutherland, but he's a lot more comfortable in that role than, than Thompson is. Well, I mean, another thing about that is, like, Alan Stubbs yesterday, you know, Alan Stubbs, every time he speaks, it's like he is struggling to construct a sentence. Anyway, so when he can't do it, he just says, you know, you know, <laughs> you know, over the time. You mentioned John Sutherland. He's in my list because he is another one. I don't think he can spell football. Um, and also... He says things that he's supposed to be... What what the presenters were brilliant at the past, whether you loved them or hated them, the likes of the Doogie Donnellys and the Archie McPhersons and the Arthur Montfords was, they could add something to get the best out of the pundits that were there, right? Because that's their job. Their job is to read off the autocue and make the pundits look good. And he doesn't do that because he doesn't say things that fans are thinking. You want your host to basically be asking the questions that you're asking the telly. Mm. You know, we live so much in that world now. Goggle box, you know, that's what that is. So you want Sutherland, if somebody says something that you don't agree with, you want Sutherland to offer the alternative point of view. Instead, he thinks, I'll just say some funny wee daft line. It's like, have a play him in St. Ties, you skinny freak. You know, you... <laughs> I met him once, as I said to you, his wife was doing stand-up comedy, and he said to me that night, 2012, I think it was, oh, I didn't really like football. Before he was on sports scene, obviously. So, he's a complete dick. Who's your second one? Um, I've actually went for um, Shelley Kerr. Because, <laughs> see, when she first came that come out, I thought she was no bad. Like, she was quite a fresh voice and stuff. But she just drones on and on about the same stuff all the time. And also... As the ex Scotland manager, she's just taking a job with the English FA, so you can get to fuck with her. <laughs> she's like, I can't stand that, she's no one on my list, but that Leanne Crichton. She said something during the week, right, which was basically, 
I hate Scott Brown. But, and then started going on a bit, and I thought, what? What are you on about, like? Just people like that. I didn't get really actually link her as much, because she's on a lot of the championship stuff. And she's a... She needs to relax a bit. She seems quite... Um, like she doesn't like being on the camera, but she, I think she talks a, a decent amount of sense. Um, but care as well, like, it's just something to me. She had that thing where she got drunk at the World Cup and basically abused her employers. <laughs> and then, if that was... I, I'm being serious, because if that was a man, a male manager, I, I genuinely think they would have got far more flack mm. and they would have treated as like a media sweetheart after it. You know what mm. I mean? Like, to be invited into the fold. I, I, I think that was a... It was a a poor thing that she done and I think she completely lost the trust of her players after it as well because they commented on it aye aye I know I don't know I mean, and, I, and she also done Hunt's TV all season so that's kind of shows you where she is uh, my next one is Charlie Adam opinion on everything all of them wrong um, you know gives it the big I'm a huge Dundee fan and spends his whole life on Twitter bumming up Sefco all the time Um really does think he's intelligent isn't he intelligent he's part never intelligent which isn't he intelligent and has played for Liverpool Stoke Premier League clubs still kind of gets teeth fixed I mean <laughs> what's that all about I mean, go to a fucking dentist he wound me up at the start of the season when he started talking like an expert on Covid like he's like I'll take the risk I'll play I'm like it's not about you taking the risk you fucking idiot at the point when it was a fresh threat and everybody was worked up about it as well, mm-hmm. I think people like that have got a place to know easily sway people. You know what I mean? People will listen to his opinion. And if he's basically saying it's a lot of shite and I'll play him no bother, then... Like, he, he plays that I played for Liverpool card all the time and you're like, for fuck's sake, you played there with fucking, you know, Gillette and Hicks were there and had Roy Hodgson and people like that. It wasn't a, it wasn't a golden era for Liverpool. You're not going to be in the thing, but... Um, it was also his name come up this week where there was a and I can't try to think who said that I can't remember somebody had mentioned it was one of the Oliver Holt I think Aguero signing for Man City is a great signing but I still think Charlie Adam will be a better signing for Liverpool okay? <laughs> um, man's enough to fuck with basically and I do think he would I do think he thought he'd come up to the championship and walks through it you know and um, he's no necessarily although you know to be fair Dundee I didn't expect that um, and I can show we'll see tomorrow. Um, who's your fourth one, sorry? Uh, Chris Boyd. I just kind of <laughs> like, it just seems so obvious, but I just kind of take to the guy I told him. Like, his whole demeanour is basically stand with my legs wide apart and scream. That, that, that's how he thinks, like, approaching it, getting dead aggressive over his points. Aye. I think he thinks he's got this, he's cornered some kind of niche market as, like, an angry guy, and he's, he's just angry and annoying. Like the day, was it the day or yesterday? Um, I seen it on Twitter, or Jeff Stelling pulled him up because he'd, he'd said at the start of the season Leeds were overrated and they weren't a good team. And obviously they've had a good season, especially first season in the league. Right. And he, he basically refused to back down and said, No, I was right. How can you say that? How can you do that when he's, the evidence uh, is quite clearly. He's, he's got a real horrible habit, he's saying, like I said, and he hasn't actually said anything like what he's about to say. Also, um, he talks like through his nose like he's huddling his breath underwater it's, uh, it's fucking winds me up so I boy it's just for being a dick to be perfect with he, there's two things I heard about him one was he asked a guy once when he was at Kilmarnock if the sun here was the same as the one they had in Japan uh, and another one was he had a bet on Liverpool to beat Celtic in 2003 
because he was going out with the Kilmarnock team. He 50 quid on Liverpool. Celtic won and he asked his teammates if he could get the money back for the bookie the next game day. <laughs> so that's the kind of level you're dealing with. Uh, Gary Locke was my next one. Basically for that documentary. Um, <laughs> Gary Locke strikes me as a guy... He, he, he basically... I mean, it's a fucking cliche. He basically was the David Brent in that documentary. And that he just didn't... He was just left to roll away with all his stuff. And he strikes me as the sort of guy that talks to four people a day and never sort of exposes himself to outside opinion or people saying to him, maybe you're not right, right there, Gary. And so subsequently he comes across as that kind of happy bam. Um, I've, I've never got I think he's just a fucking happy bam. But uh, he didn't come across well in that, that documentary. No. Like, I think uh, it was almost like he was a comic... Like the, he was a joke and he didn't know that at the, at the point. I know, I mean, you, you know, you're standing there running the hospitality, right? Which is a fucking, you know, it's a gimme joke. You used to be the manager of the football club. Then he stand there giving it the big one. You know, where you're basically gave it, giving a fucking joke to shut up. You know what I mean? It's just that, it was, it was just one of them where, you know, he, he, he genuinely, he, I think he definitely does see himself as Mr. Hearts. You know? And he, oh, I've had a pound for every person that asks me who the manager's going to be and Daniel will do this and Daniel will do that. And, <laughs> Just fucking he's not. Yeah. Uh, who's your next one? Um, I went for this is kind of a joint one because it's the same thing that kind of rung me up. It was a breaking chairman, I think Ken Ferguson and Albion Rovers manager, I think it was Brian Reid. Mm-hmm. Whereas last summer, just basically their whole thoughts and views on the reconstruction thing in this summer, when they were happy for, like, they were basically vocally saying, "I'm bloody you shut the fuck up and stop pushing for reconstruction because it's not the time and it's not about saving individual clubs." And then both of them the season when their teams were in trouble brought up the it's exactly the time now for reconstruction let's extend the league too so we kind of we kind of get out and it's just self-serving bollocks which is fine but the hypocrisy is that winds me up so the relegated is, I mean why is you know I'll throw it back at you then why is Ann Budge not asking for reconstruction now? Well, it was self-interest as well no I'd never tried that let's have a 10 team SPFL there's too many teams in that anyway <laughs> So <laughs> was that? So I, we can go relegated today, so fuck them. Aye, well, they did. Can't wait for My last one is Ryan Christie. Um, I've never, ever, ever seen a player try less as a professional football player. I've never seen a player play so much for himself, continuously. Now, again, that's partly due to managers picking him, you know, because um, they shouldn't do it. He, 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 he basically thinks he's a lot better than he is. Um, and he's basically tried to... Everything he could last summer to get a move for Celtic, nobody wanted him. His pal Stuart Armstrong went to Southampton and I think he's thinking, that's exactly what I'll do. Nobody was interested. And so he tries his balls for Scotland and then he comes back to us and does nothing. And it's no good enough. It really isn't good enough. You're standing there with the passion and the motion and the crying and all that kind of thing. That's what we expect, you know, because like we pay your wages and we never got it. And he was absolutely non-existent again in order the hunt games we needed him. And he's one he's genuinely one of the players I just think I cannot wait for you to leave because you're no suited to be here. Say again? 
Do you think that'll be the summer for Christie? Well, I definitely hope so. Um, I can't see it by any manager would want to pick him. I mean, he just—he's not a team player. You know, he, as I said to you before, he, the player ride right continually comes inside, closes the space to him for people like Turnbull or Rogic or whoever's there. Then he just because he's moving into the centre, he's not covering his right back, so the right back doesn't know whether to come or go, or it, and it just fucks it up every single time. Now. You know, I think only an empty like John Kennedy would pick him continuously, um, despite the fact he was doing that. Um, and our best form came when he wasn't in the team. So, that's. Uh, have you got any left or is that your last one? No, I'm done. That's done. One of the things I just got to bring up before we tie up things, um, regarding cup finals, right? So, the sports scene cup classics have been on, right? Now, apart from the fact they're quite possibly the worst programme that's ever been put on in the face of the earth, Fully people that people either have never never heard they or have absolutely no concept of what football is. Um, it's still good to watch the games again, going back and that kind of thing. But I watched Celtic against Aberdeen for twenty seventeen, obviously the invincible treble game, and it struck me how much I'd either not noticed or forgotten. Right. Mm. So when I think of that game, I think of torrential rain all day, huge chunks of that game, bright and sunny. Didn't remember mm. that. Clearly, my abiding memory is Roderick scoring the goal in the 93rd minute. I honestly had no concept of the fact that Aberdeen had a phenomenal chance after that. Where the ball come over for a cross, the guy, <coughs> uh, the guy he, I think it was uh, Ash Taylor, he did it doing it, and Con- uh, Adam Rooney missed it by a fucking hair's breadth, and Gordon got in front of him. Mm. I must have just all been delirious. You know, when it was actually happening. So what I asked what I asked you is the cup finals, the recent cup finals you've been to and stuff, do you remember everything? Or you, do you get so racked up? You know, I mean, to finish the point, Sean Rooney said he couldn't even remember the build-up in the goal. Because it's just all about uh, what happens after it, you know? I think, like, because I've watched them back and stuff, like, I think my memory's changed that way. Mm. Um, like the the one game I never watched back too much was the, the defeat to you to Celtic in twenty nineteen because that was a stinger as well taking the lead and thinking we would have a chance here um, and I, I remember watching that game back and the goal being nothing like what I thought it was mm. because I was I was quite all doing it half and the Hamlin's a pretty shit for you anyway and it was, it was basically just looked like a bit of a scramble but it was like it was the back heel and stuff for Sean Clare. Um I, the, the goal in that game did, wasn't what I thought it was until I watched it back. Mm. Um, but in general, I think I can remember things, but I don't know if that's a mixture of watching it again after the game, if you know what I mean. Aye, I mean, I'm not, a big, one, I'm not a big one for doing that, really. Um, but I mean, I genuinely think that if I was aware of the Aberdeen chance, you know, right there, right now at the fucking game, I would have probably not been here now, you know, because <laughs> I was so... Uh, you know, it was just you know mind blowing what had happened to winning goal. I think that happens in games a lot. In general, though, like if you score a goal or whatever, and then somebody has a, a chance right away, and you go, "Oof, well, that was mm-hmm. close," but you didn't realise how close it was. I think that happens quite a lot because you basically, are too, as you say, too busy caught up in the celebrations and maybe having to calm down. You. Aye, I mean that's um, it is. I mean it's kind of like I when I was younger, I used to tape all the games and all that kind of thing and blah blah blah. Um, and now I very rarely watch anything back you know it's keep kind of and it's kind of like 
when I watched back the that game in 2017, so that's four years ago, that was the first time I really appreciated it. Mm. You know, because you were in the midst of it all then, and it was different. You know, I remember coming out that game, and I was kind of, I was a mix-up with the tickets, so me and James ended up sort of next to the Aberdeen end, but high up, Ken, sort, of, sort of in the main stand, but just quite close to the Aberdeen fans. And that meant that we basically got a train from Kings Park after the game. And I remember getting on the train and it was all Aberdeen fans on the train. Because a lot of these, you know, Glasgow Celtic fans, Glasgow, they're not going on trains, they're just moving away to the ground. And you know, I was there thinking, oh God, here we go. But the first thing guy said to us was, Christ Almighty, that's some achievement, like, you know, the whole fucking season treble. No, we're getting beat and then getting to Queen Street and all the pubs and all that that were around there I mean I don't know what the fuck it looks like now and it was all Aberdeen fans again but it wasn't, mm-hmm. wasn't a, a kind of bit of hassle and it's you know you've been there yourself you know Hertz have won cups and all that kind of thing after the game you, you, you're not necessarily jumping about going oh you're a fucking beauty you're sort of like it's been taken a lot out of you you know as much as almost as much as the players, like you know, I've had it on Champions League nights as well. You know, you're so involved in the game, you go home, you can't sleep for two hours because the adrenaline. You know, what I, I, mean? I, I think after we beat Hibs, uh, no, sorry, it was the Gretna final. Got the train back to Edinburgh to go through for like the get into the street because everybody was outside Tinkas and stuff. And I remember Chris saying to me, like, "Why is everybody so flat? Like completely like because the train was deep. You think it would be bouncing, but everybody was fucking." Three because it went to penalties and you've been drinking before the game and and you're just flat. It's like and then when you go back, it picked up and everybody was uh, bouncing, which is what you'd expect. But it's uh, not like that. No, I agree. Uh, it's like you're not even thinking about that. You know, uh, you're kind of you're less drained if you get beat. Right. You know, you're kind of like, well, fuck's sake, we got beat and that's it and fair enough and whatever. And there's nothing I can do about it, but I'm still sick. But when you win, you know, especially when it's a fucking game that everybody's talking about or, you know, an achievement that everybody's like, fucking hell. You know, you're kind of, I like to sort of, I like the notion of just being calm. So after it, well, everybody else has gone crazy, you know, as it starts to, I've never, I mean, honestly, God, I have been out more times in my life and I'm talking my whole life after defeats than I ever have after victories. By out, I mean like out on a night, nightclub or whatever type thing. For that reason, you know, when we won the league in uh, 1998, after 10 years, you know, I, we went to a pub in Glasgow, it was very much like that. It wasn't like every cunt bouncing, it was the only pub we could get in. And we went back, back to the International Bar in Edinburgh, bouncing, but I was just sitting outside going, fuck, I feel fucked. Mm. Because there was so much emotion, you know, um, and adrenaline will get you through so much, but once that stops, you just come down, you know? Yeah, uh, I definitely had that feeling. Like it's it's a weird one, because as you say, like in your head you're playing it. It'll be amazing if the, if we win the aye. if we win the day, it'll be amazing. And like aye, after we beat Hibs in the Scottish Cup final, we went back to the Diggers and the Champions League final was on that night. Aye. I remember just watching the telly, and I was just sitting there like a bottle of beer, like I'm fucking knackered. It was, it was only like half eight or so. I was like, I'm absolutely exhausted. Because the thing it, is, it it. I think when you get older. It's not just about the football, it's about who you're with and sharing the journey and having that experience. You know, Man City, for all their success and that, they never had any journey. They just went from there, up to there, right away. And then, you know, to me, there's no glory in that. You know what I mean? 
But if you've gone, gone through the shit and then come out the other end and boom, then that's where you would get an explosion of stuff. You know, and I think, again, this ties into have there been no fans there this season that that is so much a part of football. Mm-hmm. You know, Joe Steen, not only did he say that about the fans, he said, you know, you give a, an average game a huge crowd, suddenly it becomes a great game. You know, yeah. and that's, that's ex- exactly it. And I think that... Um, Even, I think I reached the point, you know, probably a while ago actually, where, you know, you get to a point where you, you think to yourself, how many times have I been to Rugby Park? You know, 40 times or something, and every game just merges into one. When was that, and who done that, and all that kind of thing, and, you know, you get to feel like, fucking hell, you're back, and, and no matter how much, the other thing is, no matter how much a success is, you know it's only going to last for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, like even if you won the cup the day yesterday, you know you could be sitting there in October going, Christ, we're bottom of the league. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it didn't buy teams as much time as it, as it probably... Uh, good achievements didn't buy as much time as it, it probably should. Some dogs and fans are probably moaning in October or something if they have a bad I, And the other thing is, it's like, it's no when you're younger when you want to rub it into folk because you know they'll have the exact opportunity to do the same to you three months or something, or four Aye. or whatever. So you didn't want to be that guy who was like, fucking get up, yous. And then they're like, oh, wait till we get him, kind of thing. Because um, I am... How, how are you in terms of these games, or any game for that matter, in terms of superstitions? Do you have any? Do you kind of go through anything? Um, no, not really. Like, I've not got anything like that. It's like, I think... I'm trying to think, but no, I don't think so. So, for example, if I was standing with you at Wembley, right... Uh, for the England Scotland game, and I said to you, just as the game's about to start, oh, we're going to win comfortably tonight. You wouldn't be upset by that. Oh, aye. Well, I see what you mean. Like, I didn't like that. It's like yeah. I hate something that overconfidence for the game because it, it just feels like you're, even though it has absolutely fucking zero impact on what's going to happen on the pitch, I just hate that outward bravado because it feels like it's just karma waiting to bite you in the arse and if aye. it doesn't come through. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you know, I used to incredibly nervous before games and that and my son, eldest son James used to look at me what's wrong with you because he's born in 2001 all he's known is domination mm. he's no suffering anything and he got a glimpse into it in the cup final in 2019 when he actually won it up and I seen his face he's thinking we could actually get beat now what, that's not in the script <laughs> and after the game I mean I'm not trying to rub it in or anything but he was fucking like yeah it's a fucking beat that was brilliant that. because he noticed we were close to getting beat and not only were we close to getting beat but we were close to getting beat for a team that he probably knew people that supported not like an Aberdeen or fuck all like that again but it is it's, um, I mean I noticed at the game the guy we talked about in this podcast before the guy today Morecambe um, trying me and he said the fans are all agonising he said there they are they're saying so why did we put ourselves through this you know what I mean and that is the essence of football but I think the, the thing I've taken for everything this season, not just in terms of Celtic, but in terms of football itself, is I really, really want to get back to enjoying football. Mm-hmm. You know, enjoying football for what it is and, and great goals and, 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 and games and all that kind of thing. Not just in terms of Celtic, but, you know, anywhere. Because as much as it's been good to have football on, I don't really remember what to stand out great games. Maybe the cup final, you know, the penalties and all that was, but I mean, that's a great game for enough. Can you imagine that kind of game? I think he's actually, um, Chris said it to me, imagine that game if there'd been fans there. 
Um, you know what I mean? They would be hanging for the roof. Some people would be dying of heart attacks and all that, you know? It's, it, I think as well, it would be interesting to see how this season, if you look looking back on it in like 10 years from now, mm. like a 3 old cup final between Celtic and Hearts, the first penalties, would probably go down as an old time Scottish Cup final classic. But will it be remembered as much because there was no fans and stuff there? It's noticeable to me that the only time you think you ever see that cup final is, is the IR penalty. Mm. You never see fuck all else, you know, because. You know, it's one of the ones where Celtic wait to not up and you're like, this could be anything. And then, because the only time we played well recently before that was in the semi-final. And then all of a sudden, you know, they pulled back, pulled back, and you're like, what the fuck's going on here? And then you score an extra time. And normally I think when you score an extra time, especially if you got a goal against you an extra time, you're thinking that's a beat. Because mm. there's no time faster in the world than a time in extra time when you're a goal down, you know what I mean? But I just hope that we can get back to that kind of thing and we can get away from all these wankers who, you know, are now, you know, they're now 15 months into still going to games every week, you know, all these pundits, dafties and all the rest of it. Um, and that's not what it's about, you know what I mean? I mean, if you're, why not get fans into the pundit too? You know what I mean? Just, if they're shite, they're shite, but fucking screen test them or whatever. But at least you'll get honest opinions. I mean, there were some great fans on the sports scene, both Hibs and St Johnston, going through every emotion. That's what I want to see. I want to see that before I hear fucking Chris Umalumu standing with a fucking um, programme and a fucking clipboard game going on. Oh, I'm like, oh. I, I didn't even, did, I mean, yes, not, did you even remember that Chris Umalumu played for St Johnston? Ah, he wasn't there for long, was he? I mean, half a season or something. Like, and you got a cup medal in fucking 2014 and I'm thinking I was at that game I didn't remember him fucking playing <laughs> <laughs> what was interesting actually just on that is obviously there was a lot of talk about the last time St Johnson won the cup and I was at that game and uh, we were me and James were there and um, we were actually sitting next to Nadir Chiefty's family right and by all accounts in the kind of broken English and that this was the first time they'd come over to see him play right mm-hmm. but they couldn't get their heat around St Johnston fans screaming abuse at Dun United fans. <laughs> like, get out of here, fuck you, and all that came in the scold and that. The guy's gone, why are they so angry at us? We have done nothing. <laughs> and I was like, well, it's football rivalry and that. But we are just sitting, enjoying match. And I was <laughs> fucking kidding it out. Um, and Dun United did a great side that you forget Andy Robertson, Mackay, Stephen Armstrong, you know, all that kind of shifty. So then, we went for there, into the Merson City, because Arsenal was in the cup final, and obviously James is an Arsenal fan, desperate to see the cup final. And we're fucking boating along, Ken, that, along the Gallagates, fucking long, yeah. a long stretch, half five kick over, fucking along, along. We get in there, and all James has talked about is, oh, so bad for Jackie and Simon, but this will be great, this will be great. We get in, and Hull are two now up against Arsenal, first ten minutes. The look on his fucking face. I, I was waiting for him to just turn around and say, can we just go home? Now, okay? But we went in, we had a meal, a few drinks, and obviously Arsenal won the game and all that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And that was, you know, the pub was packed that day. The Celtic part was packed that day. That's what football's all about. Do you know what I mean? It's about the fans. and It was good. And I thought the... Although I did see... Did you see the fucking thing about Prince William drinking in the grass market on Saturday? Watching him's game. He <laughs> was with a group of key workers or some fucking thing. Um, Aye, it was bizarre. It was so. It was apparently he was watching it with his fans. Fuck knows why. Aye, it was key workers. 
they had one some or they've been picked some fucking. I mean, listen, um, I wouldn't know what to go drink with a cunt, even if he did get his round in, which I mean, it would be one of the Amy. Oh, I don't have any money on me. I don't need it. Get a few your grannies out, son, and fucking let's go here then. No, it was it was fucking bizarre. But aye, that's what football's all about. And suppose, you know, we can hope that the Euros obviously have um, crowds, people, and all the rest of it. Um, I've got to say, I'm not quite excited yet with Euros, only because it's still a wee bit far away. It's not like it's next mm. week or even two weeks. It's you know three weeks basically. But as it gets closer, you know, I can't wait for this. Not just because Scotland, but the festival of football mm-hmm. um, that we have, and um, everything else that kind of goes around it. You know, because basically all the adverts become football adverts. You know, um, I see Panini stickers have brought an album out that you can get free, unbelievably, at the co-op. Mm-hmm. Ah, you need to pay for the stickers, obviously, but you oh, get right, the album for free. Um, so I, I mean, it's it'll be interesting, but that's it, folks. That's the end of a season. Um, it's been a strange season. Some might say fucking terrible, and I'd be one of them. Um, but we'll leave you with an appropriate song, and we'll shall see you on the sixth of June for a super duper Euros preview, and we're bringing back a former guest for it. So tired.